everyone, and welcome to the fourth episode of Debatable. Before we begin, we just wanted to thank everyone who's tuned in thus far. We really appreciate the support. As we've mentioned before, sports are a huge passion of ours, and we're having a lot of fun creating this as a hobby. Now, I will turn it over to Jordan just to break down this episode. It's going to be a really fun episode. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. Uh, I'll kind of reiterate what Mike just said. We're really excited to be doing this podcast and really appreciate all the support so far. So in the fourth um, episode, we're going to be diving into the sport of golf. As we all know, it's Masters Month, so we want to kind of time this episode appropriately. We'll be quickly previewing the majors of the 2021 season, looking at the current top six players in the world and discuss their chances at the upcoming Masters tournament and talk about some potential winners and bets for the tournament, either top five or outright winners. And kind of look a little bit into the Ryder Cup this year. We know it's um, a ways away, but it's one of um, the events I'm most excited about. So we want to kind of do a quick little breakdown right now. Before we dive into dive into golf, we're going to start by looking at some news uh, within the world of sports. I'll currently turn to the NFL as there's a huge trade between the 49ers and the Miami Dolphins uh, last week. The 49ers moved up nine spots in this year's NFL draft in hopes of picking up the franchise quarterback, as we would assume. In the deal, the Dolphins received the 12th overall pick, a 2022 first-round pick, a 2023 first-round pick, and a 2022 third-round pick. The Dolphins did end up immediately flipping that 12th overall pick, and one of the acquired first-rounders flew up to six with the Eagles. But let's focus on the 49ers deal first. Mike, being a, being a Niners fan, what are your initial thoughts on this blockbuster trade? Yeah, for sure. So obviously being a Niners fan, I'm both excited and a bit scared, honestly, just because clearly the Niners have a plan in place, or I don't think they would have done this. But there, there's a ton of moving parts in this scenario, but... In the end, I know there's a ton of opinions out there, but I think the Niners are going to take Trey Lance. I know all these reports of Mac Jones going to the Niners and them trading up all the way to three to draft Mac Jones, but I don't think they would trade up that far unless they have a true suspicion and true knowledge that Jones could actually go top five if that's the person they even want. Um, And in fairness, Mac Jones has been kind of all over the draft boards. I've heard of some people having some scouts anyway of having, having him all the way up at in their top three. Uh, and then some teams having him all the way at the end of their third round. Uh, but essentially what it comes down to for me is I think the skill set of the quarterbacks makes the difference here. I think Trey Lance has a winning skill set, especially in the modern day NFL. Um, now, Mac Jones obviously is a high IQ player, um, not super mobile, more of a pocket passer. But the one thing that separates him uh, in a negative way for me is his second reaction skills. He doesn't really have any. He's shown that. When the pocket collapses, he folds. Um, And I think Trey Lance has more athletic ability plus the vision and the arm to kind of win in the NFL. Well, I wouldn't be disappointed if they take Mac Jones just strictly because I trust the Niners. Uh, I know Shanahan has final call and I trust him in his vision for the the franchise. Um, But again, Mac Jones has kind of struggled against good defenses. He was forced out whenever he was forced out of the pocket, which is a massive red flag. Uh, and it, I don't even think the mobility is a big issue, but more so is his ability to kind of operate outside the pocket. It seems like he kind of shuts down mentally as well, squares up to the defense and often kind of makes some Hail Mary throws. Um, so I think I think they need Trey Lance or Justin Fields. I'm fine with either of them. Uh, however, just after watching the pro day, I think Trey Lance looks, uh, looks pretty insane. So uh, those are my thoughts on, on that just as a Niners fan, but let's hear from somebody who uh, – who isn't necessarily a Niners fan. 
Yeah, I'm a I'm a big believer in you taking your guy. And if that is Mac Jones, I guess the Niners have to take him. But yeah. like you said, I truly believe that Mac Jones would be available at that 12th overall pick. Exactly, exactly. So if you're mortgaging your future to move up and Mac Jones could potentially be there, I think you're just asking for a fan base to ridicule you to the end. Exactly. This screams Sonny Weaver Jr. all over from draft day trading up to the first overall pick and still taking the guy that he wanted. I was reading kind of something interesting, Chris Sims. uh, He was saying you don't trade up for a guy because of his potential, which I think is referring to a guy like Trey Lance. But I'm not mistaken, the Chiefs traded up Patrick Mahomes for his potential. He was planning on sitting that first year behind Alex Smith. And he also reiterated, you don't want to draft a guy that is going to sit that first year which I think is completely false. As we look at Patty Mahomes, they had a plan in place that he was going to sit under Alex Smith and like he's the best quarterback in football. There's no yeah. question. But in the end, back to Mac Jones, uh, Kyle Shanahan wants a guy who can seize the field and delivers the ball very accurately. And Mac Jones does that. In today's NFL, athleticism is very important and Fields and Lance do have that over Mac Jones. But in the end, I agree. Shanahan is one of the brilliant minds in football. So you got to trust what him and John Lynch are going to do going forward. For sure. Yeah, I, uh, I completely agree. And again, yeah, like if they, if they trade all the way up to three just to take Mac Jones, then like as frustrated as LB is, and I understand, you have to understand that like these guys clearly know something's going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm fully with you, man. Like I, I heard Shanahan talking uh, in his most recent press conference, he was saying that he's sure that Jimmy G is probably pretty pissed off at this because uh, he knows that they're going to be taking a QB. Um, and he expects Jimmy to come out better than he ever has been with the Niners. Um, now, obviously, injuries have gotten in the way, but I'm personally not a huge fan of Jimmy. No. <laughs> uh, I don't really believe in him. So um, that that's the issue right now. But I don't think – I think either of these guys – Lance Fields or Mac Jones technically could just considering the O-line of, of the 49ers like they have a great O-line I think a lot of quarterbacks could actually play yeah. right out of college right between them it's different if you're uh, with a pretty trash O-line getting rushed all the time but in this case I think a guy with the skill of Lance or Fields for that matter um, will be able to play right out of the gates if, if that's mm-hmm. what they needed need them to do but yeah. Uh, again, I think Shanahan's got a clear plan in place, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens with Jimmy G. I'm, I'm going to be closely following. Yeah, it's a scary division to come out as a rookie. That is probably the best division in all football. I think all the all of oh, yeah. those teams have the potential to make the playoffs. The Cardinals, Especially quarterbacks, yeah, quarter, their quarter, the quarterbacks in that division is. Yeah, just... I know. I know. You just got <laughs> Stafford. You got Stafford. You got Russ. Yeah. Only kind of one you're kind of missing is the Niners quarterback but exactly I but I agree Jimmy G he's probably going to be there for the mentoring role I don't buy anything that John Lynch is saying oh we don't plan on moving this guy if they got someone stupid enough to take that contract on for Jimmy G Jimmy G is out the door and they'll sign a guy like Alex Smith to kind of mentor that young guy so it's just him playing kind of the politics game but in the end, I uh, the Niners are going to take their quarterback to the future because we all know Jimmy G is not that going forward. 100%. I'm with you. Yeah, so all kind of another thing that's kind of been on in the realm of sports is regards to the NBA. I'm going to go on a little rant of myself 
I'll first off start saying that I do love the game of basketball. I love March Madness and I still do enjoy the NBA. However, the NBA competitive balance is in question. Aldridge and Griffin, a seven and six time all-star respectively, just signed with an already superstar of a team in the New Jersey Nets. Durant and Irvin signed this offseason fine. You need two stars in the NBA to really compete, but then Harding comes along. That is already looking like the most talented super team, at least that I have seen in recent years, probably even more than the Warriors, in my opinion. But then you get still two very good players to come to your team during the bio period and sign for the league minimum, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. The reason sports is so much fun and exciting is unpredictability, as you've seen the March Madness. You never know who's going to win. But then again, you also have the best teams like Gonzaga are still there at the end. So you kind of have that happy median right there. I don't know about you. I don't want to know who's making the final two months, who's going to be in the finals uh, two months before the season actually ends. In my opinion, this is bad for the NBA, and fans will begin to lose interest if they haven't already. The players have too much power. I know some people feel differently. They love super teams. I hate it. This is one of the reasons I respect Damian Lillard. says he never wants to be part of a super team. And the Nets are already a super team and are bringing in these veterans on league minimums who may not be stars anymore, but they're pretty good players that are not sixth and seventh best players on any playoff team, only these superstar teams. So I don't know what, do you have anything to build off that? Mike, that's just my rant of the day. Yeah, I mean, as much as I would, I would like to debate you on this. I can't. I'm of the exact same mindset. Uh, I think the players have way too much power. Uh, I, I also just the unpredictability. I've I've been a massive NBA fan, diehard NBA fan for the past five six years, especially. I've followed it my whole life, but like this season, I'm not going to lie, is the least I've kept up with it ever. I think just because like we already know what's going to happen. Uh, it was one thing when you had like the Cleveland and Golden State rivalries going on. Um, and then KD kind of came in and, and ruined that and made it not much of a rivalry. But uh, now it's it's just taken to a completely different level. Like when you have debatably, you could argue that those three, KD, Kyrie, and Harden are the best scorers in the entire NBA all on one team, yep. um, which is completely absurd in my opinion and um i don't really know like what's going to happen moving forward because i i think eventually the league's got to step in and, and say look we're like this is not we're not in a good spot right now everyone knows what's coming so i don't know what could possibly happen to kind of prevent this from happening but um all i know is i don't like it and uh, it's deterring me away from the nba if i'm being completely honest like what sport can star players just reach out and text their friends they're in the like their friends and say oh come play with me for cheap and win a championship that's not sports is a business and that's not a business this is like a pickup basketball game people are just recruiting and stacking their teams it's not fun it's gonna be the nets and lakers the lakers are the same thing and i know you're a big lebron fan but in recent years it's always been seen like it's been lebron and kevin durant on each side like i like I feel the Bucks, I think they have a great team, but I don't think they build a super team. Giannis stayed there, Chris Middleton they drafted, and they traded for a guy who drew Holiday, who's a very good player and a compliment kind of type of star player. And I think that's if there's a lot of teams like that, then it'd be a lot more competitive and be a lot more exciting. 
like the unpredictability is what me as a sport fan, sports fan. That's what I live for. That's what I love. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, man. hundred percent thing. The only point I'll make there is obviously um, the whole, the start. I don't even want to say that LeBron going to heat was the start of super teams, but I'll say that, that was, that was the start of the label of super teams because yeah. of how big of a star LeBron was um, and how he was the biggest name in sports. And I think that KD is kind of taking it to a different level. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, I, I don't know what KD's motives are here. He could either be orchestrating all of this or he could be kind of pissed off that this is happening because he knows it's ruining his legacy. Um, but uh, yeah, outside of like the LeBron, like LeBron going to the Heat, like as much of a, you can put the label of a super team on that, but like you also got to look at the the competitive landscape of the league that year. Like there were some pretty powerhouse teams like Boston, San Antonio, yeah. and you're not going to say, oh yeah, I'm not going to create a super team to compete with these guys. It's like, no, I'm, I'm going to try and try my best to build a team that's going to beat these guys. And I think that mindset is just what's been kind of taken out of proportion right now. Um, and it's become now it's, it's become, Hey, let's build a team to try and beat LeBron the way I see it. Anyway, that's obviously a LeBron's fan, LeBron fans perspective, but that's kind of how I see it. All these guys are trying to, trying to say, Hey, look, I, I don't see us beating LeBron and AD on the same team. So why don't we grab six freaking debatable hall of famers and build a team trying wow. to take them down? Yeah. See how much I'm not a huge fan of LeBron. LeBron was able to win with him being the only star player. You go back to the Cavs. He, I don't know. If, I don't know if they actually won with the Cavs as first. I think he made it the finals. He had no one. He had Zadrunas Ogalskis. That was the second yeah. best player. KD yeah. has come out and said, well, I don't, I don't think I'm able to win on my own. I remember seeing a tweet or quote the other day. Doesn't that hurt his legacy going forward? If yes. you can only be labeled as a person who could win with other Hall of Famers. LeBron has proved that he can win without them. I think now he's just, he's pr- he has nothing else to prove. He should have won MVP a lot more times. He's uh, playing with his friends. Katie, I still think, has a lot to prove. And I think the way to prove it is maybe show everyone that you can win by yourself or without yeah. four or five other star players. But that's yeah, my 100%. two cents on it. Yeah, like you want to, uh, you for a legacy discussion, you want to be the clear number one guy on your team. Uh, and win a championship. And another thing we need to take into consideration here is when LeBron went to the Heat, I think one big word was necessary. That was a very necessary move for him because the Cavs had seven or eight years to try and build a team around him, and they failed miserably. Like, no, nobody – they didn't even bring in anybody who could be considered um, a secondary scoring or, or anything. He was completely carrying that team through and through, and – I think he just got sick of it, which I think was fair to be honest. And obviously people will debate me on that. And and I don't like the way he handled it and made it this big dramatic event. I think that's where a lot of credit criticism comes from, yeah. but he needed, he needed to do that. And Katie did not need to do that when he started by going to golden state, he just blew a three, one lead to that team in the conference finals and then joined them the year after, which is completely pathetic. In my opinion, he joined yeah. the best regular season team of all time after blowing a three, one lead to them. That's just yeah. mind-blowing. It's a coppa. That's where his legacy and kind of reputation changed. When he was on OKC, I know he was one of the most likable players in the league. When you cop out and, and ruin the competitive balance of a whole like whole association, yeah, of course people are going to hate you. Don't complain. Oh, yeah. Like I think since that, he ruined the league. 
That's where, that's where, that's where I love the Raptors winning, but that's where my interest kind of started decreasing after that happened. So, yeah, well, we'll stop uh, ranting about that. We'll get started about today about our main topic of discussion, which is the world of golf. Like I said, we're going to first preview the major champions championships um, this year, which is the U S open PGA, an open championship. And we'll end with talking about a lot of Augusta because you know, both me and Mike are very excited. We love Augusta. We love that tournament. It's uh, one of the best sporting events of the year. So I'll let Mike get started. Uh, we won't go in order of when they're happening, but I'll let Mike kind of start talking about was probably the least recognized uh, major of the year in the PGA Championship. Yeah, for sure. So uh, PGA Championship this year is taking place at uh, Kiawa Island Resort. I don't know if Kiawa or Kiowa, whatever, but it's on the ocean Kiawa. course, which is uh, is what it's known for, the, the ocean course. Um, now here, like... It's it's an interesting course. It hasn't been here since it had the, the PGA Championship or any major for that matter hasn't been at the Ocean Course since 2012, um, when Rory McIlroy won. And funny enough, that's who I'm gonna go with actually by predicting uh, who's gonna win that. Um, so Rory looked good toward the end of last season, and I can see definitely see him making a run at a few majors this year. As we know, one of the best golfers pure talent ever obviously doesn't necessarily have the resume to back it up yet but it, it was looking that way uh for a while so he another thing we got to remember here is Rory's 31 years old he's still very very much in his prime or even coming into his prime and he's one of three golfers to ever win three majors by the age of 25 the other two are some like relatively common commonly known golfers named Jack Nicklaus and Tiger Woods. So that's some uh, pretty great company to be in. I think Rory had a tough outing at the players, but I still have a ton of hope for him. Reason I'm picking him for this win though, is because he won PGA championship at this course by a record of eight strokes in 2012, um, just dominating the field. So I think um, it's going to be the first time that Rory brings in a major um, in a while and I think he can get it done uh, just because of how well he knows this course and I think he's going to be in good form coming into this year mm -hmm. yeah I think um, you see a lot in the over the PJ when people feel comfortable at specific events and courses they're continuously in the top five and win that championship over and over well, coming to mind um, Steve Stricker run, uh, won the John Deere Classic I think like three or four times just be, and he it was out of his prime too. He just always wanted the course. And I think this is a course that Roy McIlroy feels very comfortable at. And I really like that pick uh, going forward. He closed with a 66 and 67, like you said, winning by eight strokes over a no name and David Lynn. So he destroyed the field. And when Roy McIlroy's at his prime, he's very hard to beat. He struggled recently. He had that one shot. Uh, I think it was at the, I don't know if it was the match. I think it was the match play when he hit in someone's pool. Yeah. Which uh, was kind of, kind of a low life, but. Roy McIlroy is Roy McIlroy. I love him, and I like that pick going forward. I'll build onto the U.S. Open, which is probably one of the most challenging majors in terms of scoring, and a lot of the players uh, sometimes have a lot to say because um, for how challenging it is, how thick the rough is. This year, it is going to be held at Torrey Pines. The last time this was hosted was in 2008, where Tiger Woods won in a playoff over Rocco Mediate. Um, during this tournament, Woods endured a broken leg and a severely damaged ACL and still managed to win the tournament. So that's where his legacy is. Tiger Woods wins even on one leg. Um, right there. <laughs> yeah. 
he scored um his ending score was um one under which shows how hard this type of course will play a u.s open is always usually around uh even par so it's gonna play challenging again i'd assume and it's on the south course which is one of the longest courses in the pga and it is brutally difficult last year the south course um sorry Torrey pines hosted the farmers insurance open on um, two um rounds was in the north course and two on the south course it played the seventh toughest at 72.53 scoring average last year and that was without the u.s conditions which we know the rough is crazy if you hit the rough you have no chance of winning that particular week in 2008 the scoring average was 73.8 um that's actually a little bit um lower than i probably would have expected um i think over the weekend it probably gets difficult the pin locations get a little more challenging for the players that are still alive but who i'm going to go with for this tournament is bryson DeChambeau. i think they're going to he's going to go back to back i look at the last uh couple winners the u.s open it was bryson gary woodland kepka went back to back and then dj so it shows in these u.s opens how long they are you have to be able to hit the ball um, far. I think Bryson has shown he's not as accurate off the tee, which I know contradicts my other point where you don't want to be in the rough. But Bryson is not human right now. The swing speed he has, I think he can pretty much get out of any rough, which is absolutely insane how he's playing. He's playing insane right now um, from the players, the Arnold Palmer. I think he's going to be in contention at Augusta as well. So that's who I'm going with right now. But one interesting thing that I wanted to kind of point out about the u.s open is how different those courses can play and sometimes kepka won back-to-back majors uh, a couple years ago the first time first time he won he shot one over at shinnecock hills golf club and the next or it was vice versa and the previous year it was 16 under at aaron hills in wisconsin so it's a 17 shot difference and he won both times so i thought that was kind of cool to point out how different a u.s open can kind of play so, Mike, why don't you uh, break uh, break down the Open Championship and maybe give a little prediction um, really quickly, if you'd like. Yeah, 100%. So, um, British Open at Royal St. George's, um, classic course. I think a lot of the uh, the British guys or guys who, who are anywhere in the, in the UK um, will have a bit more knowledge than most uh, at this at this course. And I'm going to pick somebody who is kind of under the radar right now, but I am going to keep it local. I know the popular choice would be to pick Rory here, being from uh, Northern Ireland, but I'm going to go with Tyrell Hatton here. Um, this is more of a feel pick. I don't, I don't really have too much to back this up, but I think he's been playing well. He's been in good form. Um, super seems pretty consistent, um, and I think that he may know this course a bit better than others. I think this is definitely a toss-up because it's months away and we got to see the type of form that these guys are in. But my early pick, yeah, Tyrell Hatton. I'm going with that more more of a field pick than anything just because of how far uh, this tournament is away. But, um, yeah, we'll see. I'm excited to see how everything shapes up this year in the PGA Tour. And uh, hopefully there will be some new household names to talk about. So. Yeah, the Open Championship is one of my favorite tournaments. I remember getting up at when I was younger at three o'clock in the morning to watch all those early tee off times. I'm really hoping it takes place this year. It was actually canceled last year because of the pandemic yeah. for the first time since World War II, which is absolutely insane. It's a staple in the world of golf. Um, last time I was at Royal St. George's, which was held in 2011. 
Uh, Darren Clark won at the age of 42 and he won with a 500 score. So he kind of came out of nowhere. He's kind of, he, I think it was his 20th uh, open championship, but it was the first time he's able to secure a major. Um, it was also in 2003 where only one other person shot under par and that was the winner, Ben Curtis. So my pick for the open championship is someone similar to Darren Clark, who has been a consistent top player for a long time. And at the age of 43, he's still not won a major. I think he's going to pull through this year is Paul Casey. Paul Casey is one of my favorite golfers. He's golfers. He's playing very hot as well. I also want to throw Lee Westwood in the mix. I really hope he wins a major. Everyone loves Lee and he's playing some really good golf and he's one of the betting favorites actually coming into Augusta. And I think he's got to win a major in the next couple of years. If he ever wants to do some, cause he's, getting closer to 50 and it's very hard to win a major after your turn 50 which is yeah i like that man that's uh that's a good pick um i'm anxious to see again like just how how this this year is gonna gonna play out on the pga tour but uh let's move on to some masters talk now so Mm. obviously masters right around the corner um so what we did here we're gonna talk about uh three of the top six golfers in the world each and um, I will kick us off here just with the number one ranked guy, uh, Dustin Johnson. So obviously everybody knows who follows golf. DJ is, I think we can agree that he's the best player in the world. Um, he dominated the last Masters and it would probably be pretty wise to assume that um, he's going to, he's going to maybe not dominate as, as greatly as he did towards, I know he pulled away at the end of the tournament, but I think he, he's a lock to kind of be, at the top of the leaderboard somewhere, whether that's um, the winner or top 10, assuming he's in form and healthy. But uh, I think him being the favorite is extremely deserving. And I I truly do think he has the best chance of winning the Masters. And I don't think there's much more that needs to be said. He's just an amazing golfer. He's he's passed his choking phase, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's a super fun fun golfer to watch, super likable guy. And uh, I'm one of the guys I'm pulling for uh, this masters to, uh, to go back to back. Yeah. I think DJ, everyone is rooting for him a while back. He had the famous, uh, bunker incident, which cost a major championship. He yeah. three, three putted. Um, I can't remember if it was the U S open or British open. I think it was the, I think it was, it was the U S U S open as well. Yeah. He had kind of, I think it was like a probably 15 footer for birdie and end up bogeying that hole, which cost him another yeah. major. So he was someone to root for, for a long time. And now that he's won two major champions when he's on the top of his game, I don't think many people can beat DJ. Yeah. Except for maybe the next player I'm going to be talking about who is a totally different build as him is Justin Thomas. He's had a very eventful year so far. Oh yeah. From getting caught on camera uttering a homophobic slur, slur, losing his grandfather, lose, losing some different sponsors to winning the Players' Championship. So he's had the lowest lows and the highest of highs so far this year. Um, he's got one of the sweetest swings in the game of golf. When he's on, he's really on. He lives up to the pressure. He's um, dominated the Ryder Cup uh, last time it was held. Pressures and phase them. And it's crazy how far he can actually really hit the ball for uh, his stature. Um, yeah. He's only, he's only uh, 5'10", 160 pounds. You shouldn't be humanly possible to be able to hit the ball as far as he does at that um, that kind of weight and height. But he does, um, like I said, one of the purest uh, swings. Um, he shot a 64 on the players on Saturday, capped by a shot on 16, 205 out, 
to make a make an eagle and he followed it by a great performance on Sunday. We do have to say it was a very scary drive at 18 for whoever watched that. He kind of played a little hook. Um, if you don't know the hole on 18, the water's all in the left side, and he played it dangerously close. He got uh, kept it really low, and it looked like it was going to roll into the water, but it stayed out. He secured the par and won the players. And before he, um, I think on Saturday, um, after shooting um, that 64, he said, I know I'm good enough. I'm going to win a couple of players in my uh, life and he came from behind and won it shows that confidence uh, nothing really phases justin thomas um going forward um he's second in the fedex cup like mike said he's also second in the official golf rankings he has one major championship uh to his name uh this year is in fifth in uh, scoring uh strokes gained t to green and he's 65th in driving distance and he's still 25th for overall putting so it shows that his game can do anything um he's a ball striker he's a putter um, and for the last, uh, he's going to be my pick to win Augusta. Um, in 2018, he was tied for 17th. 2019, he was tied for 12th. 2020th, sorry, 2020, he was tied for fourth. And I think this year is the year. He's only getting better. Justin Thomas is going to win a lot of majors in his life. And I think a lot of masters. And I think this year is going to be the first one. Nice. Yeah, those are some, uh, some great takes. Right. JT, you just talked about a guy who, uh, is really just in his prime right now. He's so consistent. He's always at the top of leaderboards. And another guy you just got to root for, a super likable guy, a pleasure to watch, honestly. Um, but now I'll shift over to um, to somebody who is, is quickly becoming one of my favorite golfers um, and is becoming one of the best golfers in the world. Uh, no major championships as of now, but we're going to talk about Xander Shoffley here. Um, again, I personally love the guy. I think he's really coming into his own. I know he has no majors, but I, I believe that he has the clutch gene and the winning gene. I do believe he has the ability to win um, at the highest level of golf. And I think right now he has the seventh best odds to win uh, the Masters, the last odds that I checked. I, I believe this is fair, but based on history, you could definitely argue that he can or should be ahead of um, Rory and or Bryson DeChambeau, I know. Um, both of those guys are uh, have a lot of weight behind their names just because of because uh, of their success uh, and and goaded status. So um, Xander, I think, could surprise a lot of people. I think he's one of the best golfers in the world, and uh, I think he has a, a fair shot at winning the Masters. However, I do have him pegged to win the uh, the U.S. Open actually. So I'm excited to uh, to see what Xander can do this year. But um, yeah, I'll turn it over to uh, to Jordan here. Talk another guy. Yeah, so I'm going to talk about John Rahm, who um, he's from Spain. He's a very energetic, energetic and passionate personality. I know um, a lot of people love that. I especially love when golfers show motion, and John Rahm does that on a consistent basis. He's an incredible talent. He's a joy to watch, and he's still only 26 years of age, but he's yeah. still looking for his ma uh, first major championship. But he's been... Um, He's had a lot of uh, a lot of close finishes so far. His first uh, ever major was the PGA Championship in 2018, which he finished and tied for fourth. Uh, 2019 Masters uh, T9, 2019 Open Championship T11, 19 US Open T3, 2020 PGA T13, Masters last year T7, and US Open T23. He is he's been cut three times. When he's made the cut, he has never had worse than a uh, tie for 25th. So I think John Rahm's time is coming. I don't think it will be uh, this year. 
Um, but he is a very, um, very great player. And he's, like I said, he's only 26 uh, years of age. He tied for fifth in the match play. He's in great form coming into Augusta. So who knows? I uh, may bet for him a top five, top 10 finish. I think that'd be a good bet uh, to look for uh, as this uh, old uh, results uh, kind of support that um, going forward. Uh, he's third in strokes gained, strokes gained off the tee this year, sixth in greens and regulation, and we know he belts the ball with the best of them. Only thing I'm going to say about John Rahm is putting has been a challenge this year so far. He's 122nd in strokes green putting and 119th in total putting. And I believe to win at Augusta, I still think you got to make the clutch putts. And so far, Rahm has not done that. So if he can turn um, his putting around um, for next weekend, who knows? He might be one of those uh, guys to kind of break out and win his first major at Augusta. Yeah, hundred percent. I think uh, I think Rom. It's it's just a matter of time with him. I think obviously he's so young. Uh, I think there needs to be some some mental maturing, um, and that's where it kind of shows in the putting, right? But uh, I definitely think it, it's just a matter of time with him. He's so skilled. Like he's one of the one of those guys where I believe that when he's playing at his full potential, I don't think anybody can beat him. No. Um, again, he's got to lock in mentally and lock in his putting um, to to compete with guys like JT and DJ, who I think should be the the clear favorites uh, yeah. going into the Masters. Um, but now we'll talk about uh, Mr. Bryson DeChambeau, who obviously. If you follow golf, you you know Bryson. I feel like he's quickly becoming one of the most popular athletes in the world. Not only one of the most popular golfers, he debatably already is one of the most popular golfers. He's uh, he's kind of starting to have that Steph Curry effect on golf right now, where he's really changing the game, um, making it rangy, I guess. But um, <laughs> as mentioned before, he's the uh, most polarizing figure in golf right now. Um, famous for, obviously, his distance, his 200-mile-an-hour ball speeds and just absolutely hammering drives. But um, another thing he's famous for, especially when it relates to Augusta, is calling the course a par 67, one of the <laughs> disrespectful comments I think I've ever heard. And then uh, proceeding to, to finish uh, 18 strokes back of the winner, who was DJ at the time. So um, you got you to gotta think he takes a slightly different approach this time around. I think he pretty much has to. He knows that. Also, not surprising at all, to me anyway, he was apparently suffering from gut health issues and stomach inflammation um, during his last master's. And I, again, I'm not surprised by that. Cranking eight protein shakes per day and eating around <laughs> 5,000 calories per day cannot be good. Um, and apparently he's lost roughly 10 pounds, but also gained distance. So he's leaning out a little bit. I think those 10 pounds aren't that much considering how big of a unit he is, but um, he's, he's an amazing golfer. I think, uh, just his style and his data-driven approach. He, he likes to uh, to use science in his, in his favor, but um, I think he's going to learn from last year's mistakes, and I think he needs to get his wedges dialed, and I think he knows that, um, which makes me think he's going to perform a lot better. So uh, I'm going to go – I'm going to say he – I don't know. I don't know. I, I would say on my board he's going to finish within top five for sure just because I know, I know his talent, and also I think his mindset's going to be a lot different this time around. Uh, I know the, the course, he might need to play a little bit smarter, but um, we'll see. I think he'll get it together. Yeah, I think one thing that gets lost with Bryson DeChambeau, who is um, kind of the modern-day happy Gilmore, which who yeah. he said he actually, the reason he became um, obsessed with hammering the ball was because he watched Happy Gilmore one day and be like, yeah, I want to do that. Like you said, he's changed 
the game of golf. He's out driving people by 50 yards at a time. It's um, absolutely insane what he's doing. But like I said, one thing that really gets lost is how dynamic of a putter he is. He's 39th in strokes gained putting this year, 53rd in total putting, 31 in one putt percentage, and 28th in overall putting average at 1.583 putts per time he goes on the green. So I think that's something um, kind of builds on why he is one of the best players in the world. It's not just his distance, it's his putting and the ability to make those putts when they count. I'm going to uh, talk about the last uh, player of the top six we haven't covered yet is Colin Morikawa, who is, I think, going to be the best player in the world in the future. He's a definitely a future number one. He's the reigning PGA champion. He's just 24 years of age and already has four career PGA victories, which is absolutely insane. That's Tiger Woods-esque. If you all watch the PGA champion, Chip last year, he had a very uh, ballsy shot on 17 on seventeen when he went yeah. for it on that drivable par four. Not many people that age and the first time being in that situation would do that, but he uh, rose the occasion. He hit that dynamic shot. That's one of the reasons I think he's going to be here for a long time and really be one of those players that's going to win lots of majors, lots of PGA titles, a couple of FedEx cups, probably. Um, yeah. he's first in strokes gained when approaching the green 23rd in strokes gained T to green this year, but like Rom, he's struggled immensely with putting this year. He's 129th in strokes gained putting and come in Augusta. If that's how you're putting, I don't think that you're going to have a chance to win. You have to be putting better, even though you have to be precise with your approaches and your drives, that is going to be a really key going forward into winning a major championship, winning your first masters. That's all uh, professional golfers dream of. It's a difficult task. And I think he might have to be in a little better form. Um, so I would probably, cause his odds, I think are a little, what is he right now? He's, he's probably like 11th or 12th at plus 2,500. So I would recommend staying away from him right now, at least, for an all right winner, just because I think he has to be putting a little bit better uh, going forward. Uh, he's 44th in his first Masters. I really think it takes time to learn the course. It's really difficult to win the Masters um, in one of your first times at it. And this being his second time, I think it'll take a little more time than his second Masters. So we're going to go a little bit more into the betting odds and betting favorites and maybe some underdogs we would recommend kind of placing your bets uh, going forward. Mike, did you want to start this off? You want me to take the lead? Yeah, yeah I'll go here. Um, so I think we each chose two betting favorites who I think these are guys that you can, you can feel good about putting your money in. Um, you, you're going to be able to be excited all weekend because you know they're going to be hovering over the top of the leaderboard. So first one that I'm going to say here is DJ. Obviously, I uh, explained it already. Best golfer in the world, um, reigning Masters champion, and he demolished everybody last year. So I think putting your money into DJ is is a very safe bet. I don't think anybody can say anything bad about putting your money into DJ. So uh, that's a betting favorite who I'd put in. Uh, I think another good thing for anyone who hasn't actually bet in golf, uh, there's many ways to do it. But if you want to bet just like normal sports uh, or other sports, I should say, um, you can get these guys at some pretty insane odds because it's really picking a needle in a haystack. So um, DJ, I think he's got the best odds at, I think the last time I saw he was uh, plus 600 or something like that. Is he's that plus eight, he's plus 800 now. 800. Perfect. So like, 
I think that's probably the safest bet you're going to get with DJ because he's he's mm-hmm. going to have a chance at winning, a legitimate chance at winning. So yeah, uh, super safe bet there. And if you're looking to put money down, I think DJ's the first guy you got to look at. Yeah, um, I have two guys who are my betting favorites. Um, the first one is Justin Thomas, who I talked about earlier as my favorite to win. He's at plus a thousand. Uh, he dominated the play. Uh, he won the players uh, championship and he's coming to form. He's been incredible as at his last couple majors. So uh, sorry, uh, masters. So I think he is um, a great bet for outright winner. And if you don't want to bet him as outright winner, he's a top five machine. So those give those give you some very good odds. So I placed that bet as well for a JT top five. I'll give a shout out to my uh, buddy. He won a lot of money on JT top tens, uh, which kept his betting account alive. So if you want to keep your betting account alive, bet the JT top tens, then you'll keep winning you uh, a small amount of money. The payout's not going to be huge, but he's going to keep uh, filling those top tens of majors. It's uh, inevitable. My second one, so we've kind of gone to the top three. Bryson Shambo is the second best odds. Uh, he's plus 900, even though the odds aren't uh, too great. I think that is still a great bet for an outright winner. Um, he still is the only one major. It's inevitable. He's going to win at Augusta. And I think, like Mike uh, mentioned before, top five for Bryson uh, would be a good result as well. Uh, um, good bet as well. He's still looking for his top 20. So even though it is a bit risky, I think with his happy Gilmore mentality, and uh, he's going to eventually bake through Augusta, and I put him down for a top five. Nice. Okay, that's a good call. Um, my second guy, I think I got to put, uh, I got to go with John Rahm here. Um, now again, could be a risky pick cause I know he's not always at the top of the leaderboard, but as Jordan mentioned before, um, he's got, he's had some great history within PGA at such a young age. Um, I think he's been up and down as the number one ranked ever since, I think honestly, yeah. like early last year with DJ, he was up and down and then JT got in the mix obviously. But, um, and in my opinion, if he's performing to his potential, I know I said this already, but I don't think many people can beat him. And I think if Rom brings it performs well and putts well he's got a clear path to victory there i think winning a major is definitely a step up for sure um but i think he he's aware of that and and definitely has has matured a lot and uh and he's been at the top of the rankings for a super long time so i think the mental the mental part of the game is coming with him and in combination with his young age and athletic ability um i think i'm putting down rom for his first major i think that's who i'm i'm gonna predict officially too for the masters masters yeah that's a good pick i know he's gonna win um a majors a couple majors in his life i'm gonna stay away from john rom right now because i just think he isn't putting well enough he did have a great uh showing of the match play but i'm gonna stay away from him right now one guy that i know is gonna be a very popular pick not one i'm gonna pick is jordan spieth he's performing well again today he's won two uh has he won two masters or i think he's no one master i think and then he yeah, one match, then you had the colossal, um, colossal collapse uh, coming down the stretch. We hit the ball in the water twice, and he hasn't really been the same until this year, which he's playing at a very high level. And not saying I don't think he has a chance to win. I just think with his odds as this uh, fifth best odds, I believe, a plus 1,200, I'm going to stay away from Jordan Spieth right now, and that's what I'm going to re- recommend right now. But I'm going to going to go into my first underdog right now which i mentioned that i think he's going to win the british open this year and i'm going to put him down probably bet for an outright winner of the masters as well as well as a top five finish is paul casey he's at plus 
4,000 right now. Casey's 50 master, masters. He's got 10 top 10s in majors. His best career finish is a uh, T4, and he's playing even better right now. He fell off the map a couple of years ago, but he's still 18th in the world. He's got four top 10s in his last five starts. The only top uh, 10 he hasn't had was at the match play, which is in a stroke play tournament, so I'm not going to hold that against him. So he's actually got four top 10s in a row. Uh, coupled with a couple top five so i think casey's a hot player and those odds um right now are with uh guys like uh, camera smith bubba watson and i take paul casey for the plus four thousand any day of the week yeah that's uh that's a really solid <coughs> solid bet there i think uh paul casey is always kind of in the running somewhere <coughs> now. um but so for my first star course i think when, uh, when we think of, of young up-and-comers, we think of guys like Morikawa and Spieth. I don't know if anymore, but Spieth was that up-and-coming guy. We think of John Rahm as a young guy. But we forget about the Ironman, Sungjae Im. Um, now, that's, this is a dark horse for me. I think a lot of people might uh, critique me for this pick, but a lot of people think he, his master's run last year was, was a runoff. He, or was a one-off, sorry. Um, him finishing second, tied for second at 1500 but i i think sungjae is a legit talent i believe he's a 1998 born player at 23 years old um i think he he's legit i think he's super young he's already shown that he can perform at augusta last year i remember watching him and being absolutely in awe at some of the shots he was making and and just fascinated by the guy uh, i think he's super technical and i think he, he's super well-rounded too i think he's a star in the making and people might uh, he might be overshadowed by guys like Morikawa, um, but I, I'm I'm going with Sung Im as one of my dark horses here. Um, as, as I'd say, you'd, you'd have to bet on him as a winner, but uh, I think he's also becoming one of my favorite golfers in the world up there with uh, with Shoffley and a guy that I'm going to be rooting for for sure. Yeah, I love Sung Im. He's a great talent. I have bet on him more times than I can <laughs> know, and I have never won a bet with him right now. I'm always seem to be on the opposite tournament. He plays well, better than the next week. And he yeah, hit or miss back. with him though, man. Like he, I know he is either yeah. going to be at the top or at the bottom. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I, I, I like that pick um, right now. I think those are pretty good odds. I believe he is at currently. 40, at, 41. See, he's already gone down. He's a plus 33 right now. Oh, really? Uh, 3,300. So um, his odds, I think he's played well. I'm not sure if he's in. No, he didn't really do much in the match play, but um, Sung Jam is probably a popular pick. His odds are going up and probably should lock in that bet uh, pretty soon if you're going to make that, uh, me and Mike would suggest. And the guy I'm going with right now, who is currently, as my second kind of dark horse, is uh, Sergio Garcia. He is at plus 5,000 right now. Uh, he's won the Masters. He broke through for his first major, which a lot of people were rooting for a couple of years ago. Uh, in 2017 he's back-to-back top 10 finishes uh he wanted the sanderson farm this year so he's in very good form however he did miss the two previous cuts at augusta but he is playing well right now so i think that augusta hangover is over and i think you could look for a top 10 in him or maybe a second win but i would lean more towards a top 10 i wouldn't put all your money on him to win but the odds are uh, in your favor so you can throw a couple bucks at him 
if you choose. And one other guy I want to mention who is my biggest dark horse. He was a plus 10,000 when I did this research. He's already jumped to plus 8,000 is the Frenchman Victor Perez. Last year was his first major, first master's appearance. He tied 46. He's got four international victories. However, he's still looking for his uh, first PGA. He doesn't have amazing stats other than his putting, which is very, very good, which is something that I've kind of built on throughout this podcast. And I think in Augusta, putting needs to be on point. He's 35th in strokes gain putting this year, but his uh, strokes gain off the tee is 135th. So he's not striking the ball that well, but um, he he's really um, kind of performed big at huge tournaments like um he's had a t4 at a wd wgc last year t22 at the pga so he really likes that stage and likes events another putting stat he's 11th in total putting so i'm gonna put a a decent amount on a top 10 for victor perez because i think he has a chance to compete at augusta and the putting will hold him together nice i like that pick uh i uh, enjoyed watching him at the match play um but okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say my one dark horse and then uh, my one long shot underdog. Mm-hmm. But my dark horse, I think, is gonna be Jason Day here. Now this is this is a risky pick as well, but we need to appreciate Jason Day's greatness and that he is one of the best golfers alive, in my opinion. Still, I know he's had to reconstruct his entire swing and his entire game due to injuries, but he has shown flashes of his past self in the past year, and we all know his ability. He's one of those guys who can turn it on at any time and one of the best golfers we've seen in the past 10 years when he was uh, fully in his prime. And uh, I wouldn't be shocked if he snuck into the top 10 or even top five. So I think that's another top 10 bet you can put your money on if you want to uh, take a little bit of a risk, but it's Jason Day in the end. He was uh, he was 40 to one last time I checked. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if his odds got better as well. Um Okay, and now my underdog, when I checked last, this is my complete long shot. Um, it was at 100 to 1 last time I checked, and this guy is named Brian Harmon. And I know he, he I'm, I'm picking him just to make a run, like even a top 10 finish. So at the match play, he made 30 birdies in five rounds, which is insane. He was third in the Players' Championship as well. Um, he's in amazing form. He's putting pretty well. And another big thing for me and why I kind of picked him and I'm going to put some money down on him is Augusta does favor lefties a little bit um, just due to some of the green angles and approach shots like on hole 12 and 13. Uh, This lefty factor and the fact that he's playing in amazing form right now, um, he could sneak sneak up. I don't know what his odds are right now, but um, definitely. He's at plus 8,000 right now. Yeah, that's why he's 80 to 1 now. So his odds have gotten a bit better. Um, but uh, could be a, a good guy to kind of watch um, and see if he can really string something together because he's he's in great form. He's a lefty um, and seems to be seems to be putting pretty well. So um, that's going to be an interesting pick. Yeah, no, I back that. He performed very well at the players. He made it pretty interesting on um, – day four he had that really a uh, gutsy shot on 17 where he stuck it to about four uh, about i think six seven feet foot feet and then made that putt so i like brian Harmon. he's been around a couple majors in the past so um i think that is a safe bet 
um, or I know it's a long shot, but I think that's a good bet uh, going forward. Uh, one guy I'm going to kind of mention, he's playing well again this year. He's at plus uh, 6,600 right now is Abraham Manser. Had a good showing at Augusta last year. Um, so I think that could be another name to watch out come next weekend. So I'm going to break down, uh, unless Mike, do you have anything else you want to talk about Augusta or, you know, I think move just, on? just, uh, just tune in. Everybody's going to be, if you if you haven't watched golf before and it's something that you're interested in getting into, I think there's no better spot to start than the Masters. And I think uh, there's going to be a lot of great players in full force, and you can you can learn a ton about the game and the and the best players in the world just by watching this one tournament. So, uh, tune in and uh, take our take our betting advice, and we are not responsible for uh, for any money mm-hmm. lost. So don't come at us for that. I will say I'm not very uh, successful at betting in golf but i have done a little research so take my advice with a grain of salt like mike said (laughs) but now i'm gonna break down one of my favorite events in all of sports it's a long ways away but it's the Ryder cup unfortunately had to get canceled last year like a lot of things due to the pandemic but it's headed to whistling straits this year in the heart of wisconsin Whistling Straits is the host of three has been the host of three PGA championships. Most recently in 2015, where Jason Day won by three strokes over Jordan Spieth. I'm going to look at the U.S. team a little bit before the European team and give you kind of what the points are looking at right now, and I'll also break down kind of the previous Ryder Cup. So the previous Ryder Cup, Europe rolled in the singles up 10-6 and ended up winning 17 and a half to uh, 10 and a half Europe Europe has kind of dominated the Ryder Cup in recent years and I'm always uh, voting for team Europe I think they really perform very well on the match play I think one of the best uh, players which I'll talk about earlier uh, later is Sergio Garcia and of course Ian Poulter who always rises to the occasions at um, the Ryder Cup and it, I think he should be on pretty much every Ryder Cup going forward so this year, the U.S. captain is Steve Stricker. And how the selection process will work is the U.S. has six automatic spots and six captain selections, which is a little different than the years previously, as I believe there was um, nine or eight automatic, um, automatic selections, and there's three captain selections, I believe. Um, so this is a little bit different. Uh, gives Steve Stricker a little bit more autonomy on who he wants on the team, sometimes the guys who are playing the best at current moment, he might want to add some veteran presence than going with the rookies because it is a big stage and some first timers kind of struggle in that atmosphere. So kind of, they sometimes want to go for more of that veteran leadership to have that around because this is kind of the only golfing tournament where it's a team aspect. So having that veteran leadership and like other sports, you see hockey, it's very important going forward. So I think Steve Stricker will pick uh, the right players for Team USA. But they have a stacked roster. I think right now, statistically, the U.S. should steamroll Europe, but who knows going forward. So right now, the top six in terms of U.S. points right now is DJ at number one, Bryson at number two, JT at number three, Kepka four, Morikawa five, and Shockley six which are absolutely incredible players. I think that yeah. top six, whoever you added, they're going to be very competitive. And then you have guys um, right around uh, for the captain selection. Uh, Patrick Reed's number seven. Then you have Finau, who was on the Ryder Cup last year, I believe. Or, yeah, it was the Ryder Cup. He was a rookie at the Ryder Cup. 
Daniel Berger, I think is an underrated player. Webb Simpson, a uh, major champion. Billy Horschel, who just won the match play, which shows that he is a very good in match play situations. And Patrick Cantley, who was at the President's Cup, which I think he is one of the best players in the world as well. He played at Alexander Shoffley there. They were both rookies at the time. They were two and two. So I think they both will be on the team and they'll be paired together to kind of form that really sturdy pairing. They're both top 10 golfers in the world. A couple guys that are around uh, kind of outside the top 12 right now are Harris English. No one really talks about. Uh, Scotty Scheffler had a great um, kind of showing at the match play as well. Uh, Matthew Wolf, I think you'll be around it. A young player with Morikawa and another guy to talk about is Victor Hovland, who is on the European team. Uh, Jordan Spieth's at 22 right now. Um, I think he's playing better, and I think Jordan Spieth will find his way on that team due to the fact that he is having a bounce back year. Even though Jordan Spieth isn't that old, he's played in a lot of these team events. He's great buddies with Justin Thomas, so I think Jordan Spieth will be on the team. And one guy I want to talk about is Kevin Kisner. He won the match play last year. He uh, he won his first two match first two matches this year, and then lost to Matt Kuchar, who's also playing well, but he's way out of the conversation currently. I think Kevin Kisner should be on that team. He's a very good match play player. He's very calm. He's got a cool demeanor. So I think he would really help that team going forward and getting over that hump. Um, Patrick Reed, who I mentioned before, he's got a career six, one and two record. He's a great match play player. I hate Patrick Reed, uh, but he does bring that kind of passion and you love to see that in the game of golf. And um, yeah, newcomer Shoffley Morikawa, who are elite golfers in the world, but they'll still be making their first radical appearance. And no matter how good you're at golf, a lot of players say this is um, kind of the event they had the most nerves about because you got to rely on another player and that player is relying on you. So that first tee shot will be key for those players because Shoffley has played in the Presence Cup, but the Ryder Cup is a different dynamic right now. Um, So now I'm going to talk a little bit about Team Europe, who is captained by Padraig Harrington. The selection process is a little bit different for the European team. So how it's going to work is Padraig Harrington is only going to have three captain selections. The first four players are picked from the European point list and followed by the top five after discluding the European point list is five players at the top of the world point list, if that makes any sense. And like I said, Padraig Harrington will be able to make the final three selections. So not as much autonomy as Steve Stricker. They really value the Europeans points uh, list because they um, that tour is the second best tour in the world. So they want to kind of reward the players that don't play as much on the PGA tour, which the American team, all those team, all those players play full time on the PGA tour. So currently if the Ryder cup started today, the European point list, the top four would be Fleetwood, Rom, Hatton and McElroy, who are four players who are for sure going to be in the team. They're going to be the guys that Steve, uh, the Patrick Harrington is kind of going to lean on. And then the world's point list, we incorporate that. You have Lee Westwood, Perez, Paul Casey, Victor Hovland, and Matthew Fitzpatrick. So those are also guys that are very high quality talent and are going to make the tournament very exciting. And then once I look at the world's point list right now, we have number 10, Sergio Garcia, who is playing very well. 11, Danny Willett. 12, the Scottishman, Robert McIntyre. 13, Bernd Wiesberger. 14, uh, the reigning uh, Open Championship champion, uh, Shane Lowry. 
A guy who was kind of surprised at 15th was uh, Graham McDowell, who's kind of been off the scene for a bit, but a former major champion. He's been in four Ryder Cups, um, and he's a great talent. 17, Justin Rose. And two guys who've kind of fallen off the scene is 27, the uh, Mr. Ryder Cup himself, Ian Poulter. And thir- 37th is Francesco Molinari, who was 5-0 and at the last Ryder Cup. So I think if he starts playing well, he's going to be an obvious captain's pick. He was great with Tommy Fleetwood in last year. I'll build a couple of players individually really quick, and then we'll call it quits for the day, and I'll let Mike uh, build up anything that he wants to say. Sir, um, let's talk about Sergio Garcia really quick. He's got a 19, 19 11, and 7 uh, career Ryder Cup record, over 60% winning percentage. Ian Poulter, like I deemed him Mr. Ryder Cup. He's a 12-4-2, over 70%. When percentage you want Ian Poulter on that team, he brings that energy and it seems like he never loses. So I'm kind of surprised he even has four losses because I can't remember the last time I've seen Ian Poulter lose a match play event. And like I said, Molinari is 5-0 and last year. He dominated with Tommy Fleetwood in team competition. They were 4-0. and He's way down the points race, but there is nice a time to recover. And I know Padraig Harrington would love to have him he's very calm cool and collective as well kind of like a kevin kisner i think he'd be an excellent asset to play u.s team which is kind of drooling over the top tens i think there's two europeans and eight americans so talent wise the u.s definitely have them beat uh graham mcdowell who i talked about earlier he's got a seven three and two career rider cup he was in four straight rider cup cup season uh three and one singles However, he hasn't won since 2019, had an average 2020 year, but he may add that veteran leadership you need in that team competition. And one guy I'm very happy who will be part of the Ryder Cup this year is Lee Westwood. He was featured in 10 straight Ryder Cups until missing last year, but he's coming back with vengeance. He's got a 20, 18, and 6 record. However, he has struggled with singles and a 3 and 7 record. But Lee Westwood is playing unbelievable golf right now, as we've seen at the owner of Palmer and the players. And I know he's going to be up there and comp- um, up there in the end at Augusta. So I'm super excited for the Ryder Cup. And I know it's a far ways away, but uh, I missed it last year. And I'm really excited to see that team competition um, in the fall of this year. Michael, pass it over to you. Yeah, for sure. So I just want to uh, add in a couple of things there. It's just, I don't know if everybody knows the format of the Ryder Cup, but if I'm not mistaken, it is a alternate shot match play. Um, so I think there's definitely some strategy in there as well um, in forming pairs, and, and it's going to come into into play in player selection as well, just because you're going to want to have guys who can kind of play to their partner's strengths in the sense that um, if somebody is fine chipping out of the rough but wants to get as close to the green as possible, you need the guy shooting before that to do that. Um, or if you want a guy who specializes in that 100 yard um, shot in with a 56 or whatever, or 52, then you want to, you want to lay up for the guy. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of team dynamic there. So it's, it's always going to be an interesting yeah. format to kind of watch and anything that's, that's different from your normal stroke play is, uh, is super interesting to watch, especially uh, if you become more interested in the game of golf. Um, it's always cool to see different formats and you can kind of mimic them on the course with your friends mm-hmm. and just play different formats together. But two little points I'll kind of build off the Ryder Cup before I pass it back to Mike and he'll conclude us for uh, the fourth episode. Um, he said it was uh, alternate shot as well. It's also four ball. So there's two different uh, kind of portions that are used in the Ryder Cup and then it goes to singles for the final day. 
Um, and one interesting thing, unfortunately, it looks like the Ryder Cup will also be without Tiger Woods unless he makes miraculous recovery, which we're all praying for him right now, as well as Phil Mickelson, which will add a different dynamic, not having the two best uh, golfers of our generation playing right now. And But like I said, super excited, and I'll pass over to Mike for uh, to conclude us today. Thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, just wanted to uh, reach out and, and thank everybody for listening. Um, we're having a blast doing this. I know we're only about a month in. Uh, but also one thing I just wanted to kind of get across to anybody who's listening is if you know us personally, just don't hesitate to reach out. If you want to hear um, a certain, uh, us cover a certain topic or you want to come on and discuss something you're passionate about, we're, uh, we're open to that. I know there's a lot of uh, international students within our uh, MBA program, and there might be some, some different sports that they're passionate about. And if they want to come on and discuss with us and kind of educate us, I think that's uh, that'll always make for a fun episode. Uh, and also in the upcoming episodes, we're going to dive into the MLB, um, the NFL, and then also talk a bit about analytics within the sports industry, both from a business perspective and a sports performance perspective. Um, so yeah, we're looking forward to uh, providing some good content and, and hopefully educating some people and becoming more educated ourselves through research and preparation. So uh, again, don't hesitate to reach out if you want to hear something or if you want to come on and discuss something you're passionate about. And thank you, everybody, and enjoy your long weekend.